Welcome back to the Basketball Show. I'm your host, Paul Sir, And one of the things I'm most grateful for about being able to bring the Basketball Show back to Edmonton is reconnecting with uh, great people who have had such an impact uh, in the sport of basketball. And uh, our next guest is certainly one of those. Uh, Tim Roy is the longtime TV play-by-play voice of the Golden State Warriors. And Tim, it is a real pleasure to, uh, to talk with you again. It's great to talk to you, Paul. It's always, uh, I always love uh, reconnecting with people. And, and uh, certainly uh, Edmonton always has a, a soft spot in my heart because I, I've been up there. I don't know if you remember, but I think I told you this, but I was one of the voices of the uh, Sacramento gold miners back in the day when the, the CFL tried to get to, into the USA and, and uh, loved, loved going up there and meeting all the, the great people up there. It was a good time. My, oh, my, that is a piece of history, isn't it? Talk about one of the things the CFL has done in a long litany of uh, what the heck were they thinking then? But uh, that's, a, that's a great way that you got to, to come to our city. Tim. Yeah, uh, it's great. You know, I, I, told, I tell people this all the time when they ask me about it. I'll, I'll say, you know, it's one of the great, for an announcer, it's one of the great travel leagues ever, you know, other than going through customs and stuff. You know, you do that sure. with a football team. That's hard to, hard to do. But, um, the uh, but you know I got to go to Edmonton I got to go to Calgary I got to go to Vancouver a couple times a year, you know going to, to uh, Toronto and 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 Ottawa and get to, I got to see a great part of 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 the of the country that I probably never would have had the chance to do that and it was it was wonderful. Oh, that, that, those are great memories and they're all great cities. So, uh, but now you're with a team with a uh, rich history. But this has been an interesting season for the Golden State Warriors. I, I guess I'd like to start our conversation, Tim, about last night's game. And unfortunately for the Raptors, Scotty Barnes went down, uh, didn't play in the second half. But uh, a, a solid win for for Golden State. You've uh, you've had a real roller coaster of a season uh, in terms of the games, uh, the team's performance. Though last night, Steph Curry had a great game. But talk about some of the other players uh, that contributed. You know, I think they really have uh, hit upon something here late in the year, and that is they had to do a major, you know, shuffle. Uh, you got, you know, Clay Thompson started last night because Pajemski couldn't go, but, but you know, they really found this nice little um, uh, rotation, and it has Draymond at the five, Draymond Green, and, and then they have Pajemski starting. Moses Moody has played really well for them on this road trip. And, and, you know, last night was incredibly difficult. The team, you know, sat on the tarmac in New York from about midnight to, you know, roughly, I think, 5, 6 a.m. till they got a different plane in because their plane had a mechanical problem. And so uh, so they didn't get to Toronto till 7 a.m. And so to fight through that, and you saw Steve Kerr take those early timeouts in the first quarter, you know, to fight through all that and to come away with a win, uh, that, that, was a, that was a really a really nice win. That's the kind of win that, that teams bond over. And I think that's you – know, Pajemski has really stepped in. Kaminga has taken strides forward. He's going to be an exciting player to watch in years to come because he has everything in athleticism, and he's learning how to play on the job. And, and 
You know, I think they've uh, they've convinced him to be the athletic slasher type of a player that balances out their roster. You know, they don't need him to be out on the three-point line. I mean, he can take it one if he's wide open and everything like that, but, but they don't need him parked out there. They need him attacking. So those are some of the guys. And then, and then when everybody's healthy, you have this incredible luxury of bringing two Hall of Famers off the bench and Chris Paul and Clay Thompson, two guys that really know how to play. And that's that's huge because, you know, for the Warriors to be successful, they have to survive the non-Curry minutes when Steph's off the floor and getting a rest. And if you can, you know, add to your lead or the start a comeback with Steph on the bench, then that makes you a very dangerous team. You know, one observation I have, uh, Tim, and I, I'd be very interested in your perspective, is a few years ago when small ball was, I think, really in full swing in Golden State, a lot of teams thought they had to go that direction too. And now I think the league has come around full circle where bigs are important again. They may be different than they uh, different in their importance in terms of being stretch, stretch fours, stretch fives than in the, let's say, the old days of the NBA. But now you see such a variety of teams now. You have some teams with bigs, some teams that are playing small ball. But we've gone back to small ball, if you want to call it that, uh, in Golden State. And now the team who was really, you know, who really has gone through some real peaks and valleys this year, uh, really solidifying at the most important time of the season. I think we see that a lot with... um once a team wins a championship, you know, they, other teams try to, to uh, imitate that success. We've seen that throughout, throughout the, the history of the league. But I think it always, the pendulum always swings back because, you know, you can try to play, say, like the Warriors played in that run, but you have to have personnel to do that. Exactly. You have to have the right guys to do that. And if you don't, you know, like I loved what Cleveland decided to do a couple of years ago which was they looked around and said, okay, we got, they, they plucked Jarrett Allen for literally nothing, a, 30, a first round pick that was the 30th pick in the draft. And so all of a sudden now they had Lowry marketing, they had this kid Mobley, the rookie. They said, you know what, we're going big. We got three talented bigs, we're going to put them on the floor. And that really has made their, their team is that they've, okay, this is how we're going to play. Now they've got Donovan Mitchell, so they got a guy that can attack you in the mid range. And they're one of the best teams in the league because they figured out, here's how our group needs to play. And I think that's what teams are doing right now. They're saying, okay, if we have a chance to get a good big, we'll get a good big, and then we'll, we'll adjust our game around them. And, and one of the great things about the league right now, and in part, I think, I think Steph Curry has part of this on his shoulders. He should get credit for this. Is that I think we're getting so many skilled players in the league now. You know, where uh, 30 years ago, I think you had to be physical and, and a really good athlete to succeed in the NBA. And now I think what people are saying, you know what, I can beat you with skill. And I think we see a lot of players who can dribble, who can shoot, who can pass, because they realize that those things never go out of style. Well, and not only never go out of style, but uh, Steph Curry has made skill playing uh in style it, he has created the style yeah. for the league i totally it's agree. sexy yeah, yeah it's sexy yeah. it's and it's really sexy yeah. when you see steph curry play because there's only one steph curry who can combine 
what he does, but the way he does it and his shimmy is unique to him. And I think he, but, but I think you're right in terms of the ripple effect it's created through the league. Players are better because they've had the opportunity to emulate Steph Curry and see what range really can be. Like he's just reinvented uh, the game of shooting, the, the shooting aspect of the game rather in the NBA, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I, I think, and, and the other part, uh, it even goes even farther than that, I think. It, it goes into uh, people's perception of the game. And I'll give you an example. When we go to road games, you know, the dad maybe or the mom might be wearing hometown gear, but they're holding hands with their four, five-year-old, 10-year-old, eight-year-old, whatever it might be, as they come in the, 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 the gym and uh, the kid's wearing a curry jersey. Because <laughs> so Curry and say, well, he's kind of like me. He's not super huge. He's you know, and I can I can be that guy. You know, maybe I can be that guy if I work hard at. It. And so, yeah, I think he's inspiring a lot of of people. And I think the you know uh, the shots we see, even say a, a Caitlin Clark, the female college player at Iowa. You know, I was watching a highlight of her this morning, and she took a shot that 20 years ago, every coach in America would have, would have subbed her out and put her on the bench, said, that's not a good shot. And now we just accept it. It was a shot, too, like two dribbles past half court, right? But because players, you know, watch Steph expand his range, and then uh, and now everybody's trying to expand their range, and they're realizing you can make that shot if you put the time in. If you put the time. That is the key. Uh, we're talking with Tim Roy TV play-by-play voice of the Golden State Warriors here on the Basketball Show on Sports 1440. I, I think the, the other aspect to Steph Curry's greatness and development is Steve Kerr. Because to your point about coaches pulling someone like a Caitlin Clark for taking the kind of outrageous shots that she takes uh, just routinely now is what, what Steph Curry has added to the game, but it's the fact that Steve Kerr let him go and let him take those shots. And very few coaches would have allowed that. Like I have a hard time imagining Tom Thibodeau would have said, you know what, Steph, just keep taking that shot. If he was his coach and Tibbs is a great coach, but Kerr really has had the ability to kind of bite his tongue and just say, let the guy go. And that's resulted in all the championships in golden state. Yeah, he's really he, he's really a very good players coach, and he understands it and gets it. And he's very good at, at monitoring his his team and communicating, especially the guys who are playing. You know, because he understands that role. He was that guy that may not play in a particular game, but when he, there was a great clip of him, maybe it's maybe the first year he was coached, maybe back in fourteen fifteen. Steph is dribbling like a madman through all these L.A. Clipper defenders, right? And he just stops and puts up this ridiculous shot, and Steve Kerr is like on the side and goes, no, 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 and then it goes in, and he just kind of shrugs his shoulders, <laughs> throws up his hand, you know, <laughs> and just smiles, you know, because he was like every instinct in his body, every basketball instinct he had been taught was telling him, no, that's a horrible shot. And then he goes in and he realizes, well, it's Steph. You know, it's not a horrible shot for him. So, uh, yeah, they're a great combination. I think that's why, you know, the Warriors have done so well is that Steve kind of unlocked the key to the team. And once and once he did, they did, he, you know, he kind of hung on for the ride, even though at times it can get a little bit bumpy. Well, let, let's talk about the bumps. Uh, this has been a bumpy year. Maybe, and I'm speculating here, maybe the bumpiest in Steve Kerr's tenure with the Warriors from the standpoint of you've had the Draymond Green issues, 
Uh, Andrew Wiggins uh, has had uh, off-court issues that have affected his ability in, to even play with the team. And then Clay, Clay Thompson, who has been an absolute uh, true warrior, if you want to ter- use the the term uh, for Clay Thompson, to come through the, for most people, career-ending injuries that he's had. But he's back now. He's in his mid-30s, and it hasn't been a smooth year for him as well. And he's had to accept different roles. So, I mean, there's been a lot of upheaval happening, I'm sure, behind the scenes. Talk about uh, Steve Kerr's handling of some of these bumps, as you call them, in the road for the Warriors this season. Yeah, the Draymond thing, I think it was just Draymond needed to get his you know, his head right. And I think, you know, you never know what's going on with a person. You know, we tend to look at, at athletes like robots. They should be ready yes. to play every night and play at a high level. We don't, you know, factor in that they, they're having the same sort of issues that you and I have at home. And it, sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not so great. But um, and, and I think, you know, the great thing that Steve did when Draymond came back after the, the last suspension was he told him, said, we need you to be the fiery Draymond, but you have to draw the line. And he's done that very well since he came back. And so I think when, uh, you know, their relationship goes so deep that I think Draymond trusts that Steve is acting in his best interest, that he's not scolding him. And so I think that that part works. And then the other part with Clay, it, it's, it's hard. You know, those guys, you know, uh, you know, like all of us, we all get old. And for those of us who were playing pickup, you know, there was that, that, that day where you're guarding this some young kid and you, you realize you're grabbing this kid's jersey because he's too quick <laughs> for you and too, he's got better wind and, and everything else. And once you start grabbing the jersey, you go, oh, it's time to go. You know, you, you, know, you can't, can't play and your knees and ankles don't tell you you can't play the way you, you, know, you used to be able to play. And so Clay's going through that right now. And, and, and you know what? People... Don't even I don't people factor in enough what he's gone through. And if you look at the history of the league and history of sports, really, how many big time athletes come back the same way after an Achilles? And the answer is none. Zero. Kobe Bryant didn't have lift after his Achilles injury. Elton Brand, a former uh, NBA player, came back. He was a big man. He had to redo his game. He had to become a, an elbow jump shooter in order to stay in the league, and he did. And so um, it's it's really difficult to come back from that injury. And in fact, he had 201 threes last year, and he's still playing at a high level. But Steve Kerr pulled him aside and said, look, we're going to need you to come off the bench now. you got to become Ray Allen. And he appealed to Clay's sense of basketball history, and Clay's a, a basketball historian. So when they talked to him about this can be your role for the rest of your career, and you can have a great success doing that, I think once Clay heard that and realized, hey, you know what, They're, they may be onto something here, I think he accepted it, and that's been a big key for their turnaround. Talk about Wiggins, of course, uh, with the, the interest in Andrew being a Canadian, but uh... – I, I, I'm not asking for personal information about Andrew, but it's been a very disruptive season. When he's played, he's had some good stretches, but he's had a lot of stretches where it's not the level that Andrew Wiggins has, you know, that people have come to expect from Andrew Wiggins after the Warriors won the championship. Andrew was an all-star. And now this year, it's been just a very disruptive season. What, what can you share with us about that? I think I think he had a summer where he maybe didn't have the type of of progress he wanted and came into camp a little bit behind schedule and 
got off to a very slow start and the Warriors knew that they needed, you know, to to integrate some of their younger players. Jonathan Kaminga was a big part of that. At the beginning of the year, Kaminga and Wiggins just could not play together. They the the numbers were awful. And uh they were, you know, there was, you know, the Steve Kerr even tried staggering them, bringing, you know, Kaminga off the bench for Wiggins. And so that didn't work for the longest time and then Two things happened. They convinced Kaminga to be the, the, the slasher. You know, we need you attacking the rim. And that started to open up space for Wiggins. And then the other part was putting Draymond at the five. And now Wiggins and Kaminga can play together. But it's been sort of an up-and-down season for Andrew. And, you know, the I think Andrew suffers from the fact that he is so – graceful in how he uh, works on the floor that it never looks like work for him. You know, you always think, Oh, he's just kind of, he's kind of gliding, but no, he just makes it look like he is. And so um, I think the, the Warriors need that. If they're going to have any kind of a run and they need to have Wiggins there. He's going to be a, uh, a real factor for them, especially when he rebounds, when he rebounds and, and he's out there, he can guard the other team's best defensive player. He's become a really good defender with the Warriors. They really got him to buy in from day one. Like they, they, when they acquired Wiggins, they said, we, we're going to help you become a great defender. And he has become that on a great on ball defender using that length of his, by the way, on a little side note, a couple of the assistant coaches and I were talking uh, after a practice one day, just talking about different things. And we, we started talking about the Olympics and we all kind of agreed that nobody wants to play the Canadian national team now. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, they know, don't. And you know, nor, and something we, you know, when, when, when I first got to the league and, and I think it was Mike Smreck was playing for LA and, 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 you know, there were, there was only a couple of Canadian guys in the league. Rick Fox. You know? yeah, and then sort of group. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, and Steve Nash comes along and, and, and uh, it just has exploded. And it's great to see because, you know, think of all the talented Canadian players we have. You know, if we didn't, if, we, if, if, if uh, that hadn't happened, we, we wouldn't be enjoying Shea Gilgis Alexander. We wouldn't be enjoying Jamal Murray. And, and you know, uh, so we could sit here and rattle off, you know, all the names. It just, it, there, it's really, it's really tremendous to see. And it's, it's great to, to see how many great talented players Canada is producing right now. It's going to be interesting because like you said, uh, the Canadians are not, are not one to be, uh, to be taken lightly. And I know nobody is anymore, uh, but there's a no. lot of hope and expectation uh, being placed up here in Canada, of course, on the performance of the men's team uh, and the women's team. And then in 3X3, we're also hoping to have at least the women's team qualifying for that. So basketball really continues to be on the rise, and there's no greater example than some of the players that you just named, Tim, uh, from well, well, from what Canada. You, what you just said, what, what you just said proves it, that, that it's, it's really on the rise, is that there's expectations now. You know, yes. where maybe 30 years ago it was like, hey, can we get can we get to an Olympics? You know, now it's expectations about doing well in an Olympic run. And that's great. That's the kind of pressure I think anybody wants to have. 100 percent. Tim, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today. I really appreciate uh, we all appreciate you taking the time on your busy schedule to join us. And let's do it again real soon. Uh, best of luck to the Warriors in the stretch run here. Tim Roy, voice TV voice of the Golden State Warriors, uh, thanks so much for being with us. Always a pleasure, and maybe we'll talk again before the postseason. 
Look forward to that. You're listening to the basketball sh- show on uh, on Sports 1440. I'm Paul Sir. We'll be back with Ryan Wolstead from the Toronto Sun, and we're going to talk Raptors. Welcome back to the basketball show. I'm your host, Paul Sir, on Sports 1440. And uh, Ryan Wolstead from the Toronto Sun joins us now. Ryan, good morning here. Good afternoon there in Toronto. Uh, but welcome back. It's been a long time, my friend. Yeah, too long, but it's uh, good to be back. Thanks for having me. Oh, real pleasure. I, I, I got to start with the low-hanging, unfortunate fruit of Scotty Barnes' injury. Uh, tell us what you know about uh, Scotty's uh, circumstances. Yeah, it was a weird one. We didn't really know what was going on because it looked like first he kind of got hit on the right hand, and then so he was already kind of shaking that, and then it appeared that Emmanuel quickly um I guess just kind of going for a ball or, or whatever, his, his leg kicked out pretty hard. And I mean, you know, it doesn't take a lot to break a finger, unfortunately. And it just kind of gave him a little mini karate kick to, to the, the, the digit there. And um, unfortunately, the x-rays showed a break. And that's, you know, it's not, not great news. There's not a lot of time left. I mean, it's never a good time, but that's not a short-term injury. Like it's not going to be something you're back in a week or two. And I guess it just depends if he's going to need surgery or not. Just how if it's the rest of the season, or if it's just maybe the next month or so. You know, Ryan, it amazes me in general terms that more players aren't hurt all the time. You've got these unbelievably mm-hmm. great athletes, big, strong, fast flying around out there, mm-hmm. and and how players aren't hurt all the time just amazes me. And and here. But here we have a fluke injury that mm-hmm. ends probably in Scotty's season. I, I, I think it's fair to say it was a long shot for the Raptors to find their way into the play-in. But they had played better in a stretch post-All-Star mm-hmm. game. There seemed to be some hope that this new configuration was going to work well together. And I, and I guess to that point, talk about the Raptors today. Let's talk about them when Scotty's healthy. What do you mm-hmm. think of this composition of players that uh, – Messiah Jury and Bobby Webster have assembled. Well, I'd written the other day in a column that there was no reason not to go for the play-in because, you know, the East, the bottom of the East is not all that scary. It's a very different animal than the West where it's okay. just it, like nuts. You know, Golden State and L.A. are fighting for the play-in. Like, that, that's wild. But um, it was a different scenario. Like, Atlanta lost Trey Young for, like, about as long as, you know, for Scotty Barnes type of injury absence, at least a month, maybe more, and, and they're not playing that great. I mean, they're playing better without him because he doesn't defend, but it's not <laughs> like that would be impossible to catch them. And Brooklyn is a disaster. They just fired the coach. So, I mean, those are the two teams you're chasing. So it made sense to go for it. But now yeah, I just don't know. Like, without Barnes, you saw it last night. They were a completely different team. They were beating the Warriors looking pretty good. And as soon as he gets hurt, it was a completely different game. I mean, he's... R.J. Barrett's obviously the, the top scorer on the team, but but Barnes is the guy who makes everything happen at kind of both ends of the floor. Uh, and it's especially defensively, he was really coming on as kind of a rover covering so much ground. And it's just, like I said, the East, it's really weak and that they're still going to have a chance, but it's going to be tough. Now you're going to need Barrett to step up even more. You're probably going to have to force feed Grady Dick. I know he's really coming on the rookie. He's looking a lot better, but you're going to have to probably ask more out of him. And maybe they, they just signed uh, Javon Freeman-Liberty and another player today. Maybe they give them a look and say, if we make the playoffs, they'll play in great. If not, you know, we're just going to try to develop these young guys. You know, Emmanuel Quickly still a young player. Uh, he's going to be asked to do more, like the whole team, you know. And I guess that that's the good thing, keeping around a Bruce Brown. Now you have him to kind of slot in because and, and, he's been he hasn't been very good since being acquired. And now he'll get a chance to maybe reestablish his value. So if you're looking at maybe a – 
a silver lining, maybe Bruce Brown reestablishes his value for the offseason for them to trade him. But yeah, it's not it's not the best news about Barnes, and a lot of guys are going to have to step up. Well, to that and to that point, uh, this has been an interesting year uh, to say the least. To, to say the least for the Raptors, but part of the interest comes from the fact that has this been a rebuild? Has this been a uh, blow the team up and uh, move it forward? It, it, to me, it's been kind of a, a kind of a combination of those two things. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think they wanted to like they're very averse to, to to blowing things up and rebuilding, and I think retool is about the furthest they would say because. They they have no interest in uh, being not being a playoff team. Like obviously the goal is to win another title, but they don't want to be one of those teams that just lives in the lottery and never gets better. Like you see Detroit and Charlotte and Washington every year. Like they don't want to be that. So they gave it as many tries as they could with the old group with with Van Vliet until he left with Siakam with Ananobi because that team really should have been a lot better. Like it. it just the pieces didn't fit. They made some mistakes and had to get Pirtle to, to finally have a center and they didn't really have shooting. So they, but there was still enough talent that it should have been better. So they, they gave it a try and that didn't work. And now, yeah, they're, they're just trying to kind of retool on the fly, but remain competitive. Like they could have just gone out and gotten a million picks for the, for Ananobi and, and Siakam. And instead they got the combo. You get quickly the point guard of the future. You get Barrett, the, the new leading scorer, He's still very young, 23 years old, former number three pick and obviously a Canadian a local guy. Um, and they got some picks as well. And Bruce Brown, the veteran. So they kind of are, they're trying to do two things at once. Like you said, so it, it, it's not really an approach you see that often. And it's, it's time will tell if it's the right move, but they're nowhere close to done. They're trying to figure out what's going to be uh, like two years down the line. Like, they really want to be like a, a legitimate uh, contender in the East and then maybe three or four years like back to the title contender. So they're kind of trying to thread the needle a little bit. Definitely are. But uh, tell me about what t- – I really like Quickly. I think he's mm-hmm. a point guard with a tremendous future that they really haven't had before. Somebody who uh, – somebody who is – he's got that, that extra step of quickness and mm-hmm. that extra – uh, ability to create for his teammates and also is a scoring threat from from a lot of areas on the court. So I'm I'm a big fan of his. RJ, you know, every, I, I'm a big fan of RJ's as well. I, I but RJ, I I think his best days are still ahead of him if he can continue on the development path, fe- feeling like he is the leading scorer, feeling like he is the guy that can score in a variety of ways. I, I heard. Uh, head coach the other day comparing him to Manu Ginobili. Uh, what do you think the, the, the ceiling is for both RJ and quickly? Well, I could start, I'll start with uh, RJ. I think that, I think if you're asking him to be your leading scorer and one of your two best players, you're probably asking a bit too much. Like I do agree that he still has a lot of upside. Like I said, he, he's, he's still very young. He's very talented, does, does a lot of things well. Uh, but I, I see him more as like a DeMar DeRozan type eventually. Like he's going to be, a complimentary guy. He's going to get his buckets, but he's going to need to do a, a bit more to really uh, help a contender. So I think down the line, ideally, you have a, a true number one. I don't think Scotty Barnes is a number one scorer because that's not really what he, he tries to do. He likes creating. He likes doing everything. So I think for the Raptors to be at the next level, they're going to need quickly to be a 20-point-a-game scorer. And I think he does have that potential because he's a great shooter and he's very, very fast, so can get in the lane and score in the lane. But that's, I still think they're one guy away. Uh, like, Grady Dick should be a nice complimentary shooter. He moves really well off the ball. Um, they're going to try to get him to emulate Clay Thompson a little bit. And 
I think the Manu comparisons for RJ are a bit much, but but I know he does get downhill and he, he has shown a little bit of a ability to find teammates. And I agree there's a lot more to his game, but I just think they need one more uh, high-level player before before you can really figure out where everyone slots in. But I would agree, yeah, I do. I think the quickly, uh, he was a guy I was thinking before that he'd be a great guy to get who's sort of out of favor in New York. And you could see the potential there just because of that skill package and just how, how valuable the that type of point guard is in today's NBA. Like, obviously, we saw the best of all of them uh, last night, Steph Curry, but like a Damian Lillard, anybody, Trey Young, anyone can just pull up and, and just hit threes at such a, a, huge, a huge rate while also being able to kind of get to the rim at will. That's a very, very dangerous player. So I think they were right to identify him, and, and he's definitely a, a very nice piece for the future. We're talking with Toronto Suns' Ryan Wolstad here on Sports 1440 on the Basketball Show. I'm your host, Paul Sir. Uh, Ryan, I'd like to talk about the way the Raptors have handled Grady Dick. I have to say I was impressed when they sent the, the way they handled him, and I think it was in a, probably a two- to three-week stretch where they – they seem to recognize that something just wasn't translating for this young man. And, and I think we all have to keep that in mind. Is he 20 yet? I, yeah, just recently, yeah. Yeah, not just, too long ago, yeah. yeah, and I still don't believe the shaving commercials because I don't <laughs> think Grady actually does shave. But, uh, but uh, I think like with Grady, the, the fact that they pulled him aside and then focused on him and now slowly and steadily since then, he started to really emerge and people are starting to, I think, understand the asset that he really could be uh, for the Raptors, I, I I think the comparisons to Duncan Robinson, you know, they're fair. The the actions that they're trying to get Grady uh, uh, to get Grady comfortable with, like Clay Thompson's, very smart. I think he's a dimension that the Raptors need, and I think was were really difficult for Nick Nurse to look at because he did have some shooters that just never seemed to click in their lineup. But it seems like the Raptors are really committed committed to having Grady Dick evolve into an important cog in the Raptors unit. For sure. And I mean, yeah, with Nick Nurse, they had guys like Matt Thomas who were just too small to, to get their shot off. And, you know, they, they if they shot it, they were going to make it, but they couldn't get it off in the NBA, which is tough. Um, but but Grady's got great size, about 6'8 and change, uh, and he gets himself open really, really well. And I agree, they did a really nice job handling it. And this is an organization that was once uh, up there with Miami with the class of the NBA for developing young guys and unheralded or, or you know, good prospects like Grady Dick, who, who's really good, but they got away from that. And this year, to their credit, one of the best things they've done is just taken the right path with him. They, they tried him early on, and he wasn't really ready. And obviously, he was only 19 at the time, just one year in, in college. But they made him get stronger. They made him watch a ton of film and get some reps in the G League. And he's been, to his credit, he's, he's really... Uh, taken it and ran with everything they've told him to do and asked him to do and he's looked completely different and now he looks like a nice piece of the future for them because as you said he he does a lot of things well he, he finds a way to 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 get off the ball to get open and there's a lot of guys now i mean bruce brown too kelly olenix like a just such a smart player such a smart big man Jakob Pertle too so they're, they're kind of doing it a bit differently they're trying to, to get guys who know how to, you know, they're not doing that isolation ball that's so popular. They're trying to get guys who know how to play basketball, which is kind of nice to see. And it's, it's resulting in tons of assists and some pretty, pretty offensive basketball. The issue is going to be, like, can they defend it all? And that's where I, I was going to jump in with uh, Jakob Pertl. I, I, a, I think we were all surprised when they brought him back. Uh, but B, when the Raptors went on a bad losing streak, it was when Jakob Pertl was hurt. 
Mm-hmm. He's a very efficient player. Like he's an old school big. He's not a stretch big at all, but he sets great screens. Like one of the things I really like about his game is he sets real screens, mm-hmm. and his slip to the basket is very effective, and his touch around the basket uh, is, is is very very nice. He, he struggles at the free throw line, but uh, to have a traditional big man as part of it who thinks the game well. To your point, and I, and I think Rashkovich does a really good job of working with the pieces that he has. Uh, would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's uh, he's had to, and he's had to go from, like I said, having a Siakam and Ananobi in a different, completely different type of team. Like he had the system he wanted to put in, and those guys weren't really that adept to play it, so they had to do something a little different. But since they've been gone, they've gone to this style that he wants. And he's used his pieces wisely. And like you said about Pirtle, he, he does set crushing screens. And that's something uh, some of the good Raptor teams of the past had. When they were contending, first it was Valanciunas who would just, you know, set those crushing screens. And, and then Marcus Gasol and even Serge Ibaka, too, was okay at it. And that, that just opens up a ton of space. And now they have Olenek as well, who's a very good screener. Like, like I said, a very fundamental player. So it's kind of just... Uh, like I said, refreshing to see uh, the fundamental basketball because it's getting guys open and, and letting them get open shots and, and doing that. And I, it might be controversial to say, but we talked about Barnes off the top, and obviously he's the most important Raptor, and losing him is just going to crush them. But it might not be crazy to say that losing Pirtle is, would be the, like the next most impactful thing for these Raptors because they are a completely different team when he's out. And getting a Linux helps a little bit, but he's still a, a crucial piece. Totally agree. I, 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 I think you've. I don't think it's controversial at all. I think he is the second most important raptor because his numbers are consistent. I, I that you're always seeing Jakob with ten to eighteen and ten to sixteen <laughs> rebounds. You know, and and without that, and without the screens, and without creating the space. I mean, that's going to make RJ's job so much easier. Number mm-hmm. one. Uh, so no, I, I don't. It, you wouldn't think that Jakob would be that impactful, but on this team and with this with this composition, I think you're a hundred percent correct. So mm-hmm. you, you mentioned Ryan, and I'm going to put you on the spot. If you could pick the perfect it player, the the new Kawhi for the Raptors with the talent blend that they have, if you could point to a player, and we'll use it as a type of player that they need to get in the future to truly get back to championship contention who would that player be mm, now that's uh, that is putting me on the spot <laughs> sorry i mean uh, that was what i should have prepped you for because that's yeah, not fair I, I don't know like a specific player um you know i'm gonna say someone like a, a desmond bain would be like huge just slot him in there as, as like a starting shooting guard, uh, just a guy who can do so many things. I mean, maybe obviously they probably need some of it better than that to, to be back in the championship caliber, but they'd be right in the thick of it in the East with a guy like Desmond Bain, a starting shooting guard. You you play RJ up at the three. I know he's a two or a three, and you have Scotty at the four. I think that would that would be a pretty good team because I think Gary Trent right now is a bit of a weak link, and unfortunately he doesn't play well as a reserve, which is where he should be, but I think a, a big upgrade at shooting guard and allowing Grady Dick to still develop as a reserve, I think that that would be the best plan. So I think a Desmond Bain or maybe a guy a little bit better than that would be would be huge for the Raptors. And I think you know for folks who don't know who Desmond is, he's a shooting guard with the Memphis Grizzlies, and he is fantastic. 
uh, a guy and I Darko, love. Darko worked closely with him too, and really yeah. helped him develop his game. And Mikhail Bridges in, in uh, Brooklyn too. Darko helped him a lot. So someone like that. A guy I always loved, not and and not so much anymore because his best days are behind him. Was Bradley Beal? I always felt like oh, Beal yeah. was the guy the Raptors oh, yeah. needed to be a, just a, a tremendous team. Uh, but he can slash, but he can really shoot it, and he can mm-hmm. create his shot as well. Mm-hmm. So watching yep. the Warriors last night, last question for you, Ryan. Has Steph Curry lost anything? <laughs> no way. Yeah, that was that was a, quite a show. And unfortunately, he hadn't been in Toronto uh, since the final, since uh, he sent it back to Oakland. The game Kevin Durant blew out his Achilles when all the Raptor fans and the Canadian fans around the country were crushed. They wanted to see the Raptors win it in Canada. and But Steph had other plans that day back in uh, five years ago. Uh, just about five years in June. And uh, he finally came back, and he's the all-time scoring leader in Toronto, and he proved it again. I mean, he just he does it so effortlessly. Like, all of a sudden you look up, and boom, he's hit three threes in a row. Then you look up, he's hit three in a row, or he hits a guy wide open. Or it's just, like, they're never out of a game. That He's just he's just he's an awesome player. And maybe he's lost a tiny bit, obviously, like everyone does. They're getting up there. He's a ton of miles, but he's still uh, definitely worth the price of admission and, and one of the best players on the planet. And, and also a great dude. Like he, uh, he took a lot of time to to sign a lot of things for the fans and interact with the fans. And he is, uh, he's a monster. He remains a monster. And like I said uh, during this segment, the West is is insane. Like they're ninth or tenth. Like your reward for winning the West is going to be maybe to play one of those guys and one of those teams in the first round. Like that. That's uh, good luck to you. Isn't that the truth? The West is yeah. a monster this year. It's so yeah. much fun. I, I in fact, what I'd love to do is let's get back together and let's just talk about the West sometime. We'll touch, touch on the Raptors. Yeah, let's talk about the sure. insanity in the West and how good the West is because it mm-hmm. is crazy. Well, Ryan, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we're out of time right now. Ryan Wolstad, Toronto Sun. Uh, what's your Twitter handle again, Ryan? Uh, Wolstad Sun, W-O-L-S-T-A-T-S-U-N. Follow Ryan because his tweets are great and his stories are even better. So thanks so much for being with us today, Ryan. It's great to reconnect and I look forward to talking often in the future yeah thanks a lot paul you're listening to the basketball show on sports 1440 uh, we'll be right back to close out welcome back to the basketball show as we wrap this tremendous show up uh, what a great group of guests that we had from reagan wood concordia coach aba director of coaching development talking about youth provincials scott edwards Head coach, longtime 18-year head coach uh, of the University of Alberta Pandas, talking about the upcoming Youth Sports Women's Championship at Savile Center, both next weekend, uh, Harlem Globetrotters next weekend. Brian, I mean, what a, what a great basketball city. I mean, Edmonton is a basketball city. We are unique in this country. Not that other cities, of course, are friends in the center of the universe in Toronto, but... Uh, you know, we have such a great, rich basketball culture in this city and the events to back that up. Yeah, it's like I was saying to you off the air, how crazy is it that uh, that the, the Globetrotters come here? I think it's their first time here in a couple of years, and it, and it just happens to be the same day as we were hosting the Women's National Championship game, right? I mean, it's just fun, but that's – and on the same weekend, of course, is Youth Provincials, so – um, yeah, a lot, lots going on, and uh, I think there's some stuff coming up to be excited about in the future, too. Let's go to the poll. Ryan, uh, what are the final numbers that we have today? Did, did Damian Lillard get a vote? 
Unfortunately not. Yeah, over on our Twitter, basketball underscore show, the final results for who would win a three-point contest between Steph Curry, Caitlin Clark, Sabrina Onescus, and Damian Lillard. Uh, Stephen Curry, runaway favorite, uh, coming in and the runaway winner as well, with 83.7% of the vote. And as we were talking off, off, off air here, it's just beyond the shooting there. It's uh, his impact on basketball as a whole and just the way kids are being raised now you can kind of understand how he's that 82.7 percent of the vote caitlin clark who also is on the rise for her impact on the sport especially in women's basketball recorded 14 percent of the vote here and onescu got a couple votes as well and damian lillard no votes as you mentioned back to back uh three-point winners but i'm um, yeah i'm not sure what to make of that well, well, what I would make of it is that everybody voted for uh, Steph Curry as the Mount, the shooter on Mount Rushmore for the NBA. And uh, it's understandable. I actually compliment our listeners on voting for Steph Curry because uh, you can, it, it's tough to argue with the guy who is doing what he still does at the level he does it at. As he demonstrated last night against Toronto, uh, Steph Curry still has it all. So... Let, let, let's look at the, the NBA stretch run that we have coming up. Brian, is there any team in your mind that you're particularly interested in in this stretch run and to see what they're going to be able to do? Is it Golden State because they've righted their ship for the moment? Is it the Lakers or who is yeah, it? Yeah, that was the first one that came to mind there actually is the Lakers because they're kind of, I mean, there's some nights when they show signs that they might have something going there. Yes. And then there's other nights when, you know, when they can barely beat the Washington Wizards at home. And there was, I mean, I, I don't know, the other the other night, I think it was Wednesday, uh, when they were down 20 in the fourth quarter against the Clippers and LeBron just turned it on and had like, a, he outscored the Clippers himself all by himself in the fourth quarter and they came all the way back and it's just... You know, we can't do that every night now, but, I mean, I'm, I'm not the biggest LeBron fan around. I, I don't think you are necessarily either, Paul, but the guy's almost 40 years old, and he's doing this. It's, it's just, it's unbelievable. And, you know, you look at teams like that, and I think I think Ryan touched on this in the previous segment. The top two seeds, this is what intrigues me most, actually, is that right now you're looking at the top two seeds are Minnesota and OKC, two tremendously talented but very young teams that have basically virtually no playoff experience. Minnesota's had a couple, been to the playoffs the last couple of years, but haven't won a round yet. OKC got to the play-in round last year. None of their key players have ever played an actual legit playoff game. Uh, and then you have potentially, uh, if if things fall into place at the way they do, the, the seven and eight seeds coming out of the play-in round could be LA and Golden State, who are two veteran-heavy teams that have won so much. I mean, like, that that just absolutely fascinates me that those would be... I mean, let's let's say tomorrow, uh, the playoffs start tomorrow, but let's say L.A. gets to the eighth seed and they're up matched up against Minnesota, and then you have Golden State against OKC. Who are you picking in those two series? I'd pick uh, L.A. and uh, Golden State. Really? I would. I, I... Little harder to pick against OKC. Yeah, I, I I feel, and that's the thing too. Even though Minnesota is the number one seed right now, I do feel more confident in OKC. Yeah, I, the, Gilgis Alexander, his steady play, his ability to score from anywhere, and his predictability is different than Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards has had a phenomenal season. He's evolving into one of the best players in the league, but he's still very young. Number one and number two, he's more unpredictable, and I would say basketball-wise volatile, where Shea Gilgis-Alexander isn't. Like, he is just a machine right now. And Holmgren's been very good, but they don't need Holmgren to be great to be very good because they have other complementary pieces. But I still would go with the, the, the old guys because it's different playing a single game versus a seven-game series. So I think 
uh, I'd hate to play the Golden State Warriors in the first round of the playoffs, that's for sure. Do you think that either one of those teams, either the Lakers or Golden State, they get past the first round, but then they're potentially looking at Denver, Clippers, Suns, I mean, a potentially a very difficult matchup in round two, the Mavs maybe? Could, how, how deep can either of those teams go? I would put more money on Golden State going a bit deeper. Yeah, I would too. Number yeah. one. And number two, though, especially if, uh, if they get Wiggins back and he's, he's right. I think that would make them. I think that would make them a real tough out. But for the most part, I have a hard time envisioning, envisioning anybody beating those top four teams right now because they're very, very good. Dallas up and down. Luca can control a game. I don't know that he can control a series. And uh, I think that uh, the top four teams. My goodness, uh, Denver, Phoenix. Uh, uh, the the Clippers are tough. I know they the, that uh, the Lakers came back against them, but I seven game series. I'd still go with the Clippers. Can't forget New Orleans is playing some decent ball too, and Sacramento oh slowing around there. I mean, it's yeah. New, New Orleans it, to me the nightmare team in the West is New Orleans because they're really good. They're I mean physically they're really good, but again devoid of playoff experience. Right. They just they're scary talented. Uh, Sacramento as well. It's great. The Western Conference this year is just phenomenal. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us on Sports 1440 today for the basketball show. A special thank you to all that texted and participated in the poll. Ryan Reed, Brian Swain, uh, you have been fantastic. Uh, Folks, have a great week on and off the court. This is a huge week of basketball in the Edmonton Marketplace. Get out to the Expo Center tonight, watch the high school finals. And the next week, we've got women's national championships, globe trotters, youth provincials. Everyone, uh, Edmonton is a basketball city. Thanks for listening. Take care. Have a great week.